This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Welcome back. This is Dollars and Change. I am Sandy Marrow Hunt, along with my co-host. And I'm Nick Ashburn, standing up. Yes, we are standing. We are welcoming you back to Dollars and Change with a segment where we will be talking about healthy offices. And so we decided to stress out our producer and sound engineer by making a last-minute change to stand up, adjust our microphones. Um, be because we're pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I'm going to feel bad about the bacon, egg, and cheese uh, Dunkin' Donuts sandwich I had this morning when we started <laughs> talking about uh, how to be fit in offices. So for this third segment, we welcome Joanna Frank, who's the executive director of the Center for Active Design, to talk about the new initiative and organization, FitWell. Joanna, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Excellent. Good morning. So where, where are you joining us from, Joanna? I am in New York. New York. Excellent. Good. I'm always delighted when we're not uh, waking people up too early, our West Coast guests. <laughs> Never fun. Um, but so let's start start at the top with what is FitWell? It's been getting a ton of buzz. It's one of, I think, Fast Company's most innovative companies in social impact. Tell us what it is. Sure. So FitWell is a building certification program um, that's really looking to support healthier and therefore more productive workplace environments. Excellent. That, that's a great description. And I'm we're eager to unpack exactly what that means. My next big question is always, what's the pain point? Where, you know, this arose out of the need for what and because of of what things happening in our society? Sure. So, I mean, there's, I think, a growing recognition that uh, health is deteriorating a lot uh, because of uh, chronic disease. So things like diabetes and heart disease. Um, And a lot of the underlying risk factors for those chronic diseases are um, physical activity, smoking, and poor diet, all of which are actually impacted by our environment. Uh, So not just where we work, but also where we live, where we play, our schools, our houses, and so on. Um, And really, there's a a really growing amount of information out there, a lot of research um, that's really happened over the last decade um, that really now can pinpoint what it is about the design of our environments and the way that we run our buildings um, that impacts the behavior that then impacts your risk around those uh, chronic diseases. So how do I ensure that somebody is uh, physically active based on uh, the design of the neighborhood that they live in or the design of their workplace? Um, And so we've really come a long way in our understanding of how the two really uh, correlate together. And that was the impetus for FitWell. Like, how do you take all that knowledge that is within public health um, and the public health research, um, how do you get that into the hands of the people that are making the decisions around the design of our buildings, of our neighborhoods? So designers, but also real estate developers, um, employers who are making decisions around where they uh, decide to locate their offices, um, and also the people who are actually managing and uh, the facility managers of those buildings. Yeah, and Uh, I just want to jump in and remind our callers of our contact information because if you're like me, this is a great topic to ask questions about as you think about your home, your office, your neighborhood, um, and ways to be healthier. You can give us a call at one eight four four Wharton and join us live on the show. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six or six, or give us a tweet at Biz Radio. Um, so, Joanna, let's let's jump right in. What it, you know? What's some of the data that you are seeing and the compelling reasons for companies to start to care about this? So what is, um, I think, one of the exciting parts about running FitWell is that um, 
we see a direct correlation between having healthier employees and productivity. So we can really talk about um, an increased return on investment for businesses who invest in the health of their employees. Um, and so it's this great synergy that doesn't always happen um, where you have what's good for business is actually also good for health. Um, and so that was actually one of the big kind of uh, motivating factors of why concentrate on workplaces first when, you know, there's also a lot of data around residences and neighborhoods and so on. Um, so there is a direct correlation between um, the levels of chronic disease in employees and the amount of days that they miss every year, uh, absenteeism. Um, and there's also a lot of data around uh, stress and its impact on productivity. And likewise, like how you can use both the design and operation of a work place to start to mitigate stress, whether it's noise, whether it's lighting, um, all sorts of different um, environmental issues that inf influence stress levels. So, Joanna, um, so you're telling me that when my Aunt Rita gives me a call yesterday, let's say, and <laughs> says, you know, I had to get a CAT scan because, you know, I'm having these things in my abdomen, which is serious, and, and that, you know, let's go get that checked out. But then when her friend just says, well, you know, you're sitting around a lot at work. You don't, you know, you're not really as active as you might have used to be. You know, she grew up on a dairy farm and now she just sits in a, she just sits on a, you know, at a desk all day at a law firm now, you know. So you're saying that, hey, there actually might be a correlation here and, and maybe we should, you know, really pay attention to what our work environment looks like. Yeah. I mean, I think actually with that specific example, um, there's more than a correlation. It's actually causation. So mm -hmm. it's at the point, you can't say it's proven ever with uh, research, um, but it's as close to proven as it can get, basically, that if you sit for prolonged periods of time, it will have um, a detrimental impact on your health. Yeah, so sitting is the new smoking, I've heard. It is. And actually, physical inactivity is now neck and neck with smoking as the leading cause of preventable death worldwide. Wow. And I believe it. I mean, if you think at how our lives are designed and have evolved, the just things that you wouldn't consider, you know, exercise formally, but are exercise like gardening or cutting your lawn or even just going to the supermarket and walking around and carrying your bags. You can eliminate. I've eliminated all of that from my life. <laughs> like, I have my groceries delivered and I don't do it to eliminate exercise. I do it to maximize my time. But what do I spend that time on? Probably my laptop. Um, so it's really, you know, really worth thinking about. And it has me thinking about our last guest, Stefan, talking about data, right? Companies also have powerful data around these employees to inform these policy changes. You know how often someone is out sick. You can see trends in that. You can see, you know, all this data. So, Joanna, how are companies using that sort of insight power to shape programs and, and make their employees healthier and thereby better employees? Sure. So Fitwell is actually very new. Um, so you mentioned uh, the Fast Company article, which was fantastic. That actually, the day that came out, which was only a couple of weeks ago, uh, marked the public launch of Fitwell. Mm -hmm. So we are really at the beginning of, of the public phase of using this information and this certification system. Um, but what we're really looking at is how do you start to have an enormous number of, of companies using Fitwell and therefore, you know, a great data set as far as benchmarking what is the design of our current um, workplace. Um, and then how do we then see what the incremental changes will be over time based on the information that Fitwell is providing? Um, because one of the great resources that Fitwell actually provides is a list for each company of the areas of opportunity. And that list is really what are your 
What are your highlights? What should you be concentrating on based on the evidence? What is your unique list of action items mm. that will be the most impactful? So as we see businesses start to use that information to inform either policy changes or future investment in their physical work, the workspace, then we'll be able to see how that then correlates with the data that you were just talking about as far as absenteeism, productivity, um, also things like staff retention, which is a big deal, mm -hmm. um, and attraction of talent. What we know is from the trends that the youngest generation um, in the workforce is actually now considering the environment, the physical environment of their office as one of the major factors in their decision making around where they will choose to work. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm admittedly millennial here. <laughs> And I, I, I pretty much refuse to work in a cubicle. Like, you do refuse. I've proposed cubicles in some office reorg, and you that's a hard cubicles. no. And why is that? Uh, well, I just I think they're they really creep me out. Yeah. And we used to have a um, in my office in D.C. We mainly had. We, we worked a lot in Eastern Europe, Europe and Central Asia, and we called it Cubistan. <laughs> it, it was just – it was not a good environment. I mean from colors to – I mean yeah. it didn't – And you're a it, representative millennial I think in this regard that that matters, right? When we hear our students go interview places, they come back and they say – almost before the work is discussed. And Joanne, I don't know if this is something you've seen as well, but they're saying, oh, it's a really great company. They have a gym in the building, right? They have a snack bar. They have a smoothie machine. And also it's private equity. Like that is a almost <laughs> like a, a secondary thought to what is my experience going to be 60 hours a week in, yes, in this environment? That's right. And so what I wanted to come back to, though, is you know, while we are seeing moves in the private sector, and I think private sector actors, you know, probably leading generally in a lot of these practices, Fitwell, the story of Fitwell really begins with the Centers for Disease Control and the General Services Administration of the government. What what started that? Sure. So um, Fitwell was created by the federal government. Um, so it was created as a collaboration between the CDC um, and uh, the federal government, uh, the General Service Administration, which actually is the manager of the federal portfolio nationally. Mm -hmm. um, and so right from the outset, the way that this was conceived was that translation. How do you take that health knowledge and translate it into practical design and operational strategies that will actually work in a real-life portfolio of buildings? Um, and so because of that, it is very practical and applicable. Um, and the General Service Administration actually used Fitwell in 76, I think it is, of their buildings across the country in a pilot. Um, and what they were able to do, because they have such a vast portfolio of buildings, they were actually able to test it in buildings as old as like 100 years old. You can imagine an old courthouse, um, buildings that were brand new, different uses like a laboratory as well as kind of standard office space, um, but also in suburban urban and rural environments as well. So really, their input was essential because it means that it, it is actually uh, directly kind of resonates with those who will be using it, which are the, the facility managers, really. The people who are running our buildings are the ones who are using Fitwell. Um, so the federal government, I would say in this, are absolutely a leader. They have both the knowledge um, as far as the research and the expertise on the CDC side, and then, of course, they are a massive landlord. Um, and right. they don't just run buildings for the federal government. 
government, and many of the buildings they own have actually multiple tenants, uh, many of which are, are private sector businesses as well. Um, and so they can really take a leadership stance as far as you know uh, championing this, which they have been. Um, and they're going to actually continue to use it going forward um, in more of their buildings, and the CDC remains our research and evaluation partner. So um, we love data, obviously they love data, and so it's going to be a great opportunity for, for further um, understanding and really kind of advancing everyone's uh, understanding of the impact. And so, Joanne, I have a two-part but related question. So the first, if, if our listeners are sort of curious about this, it's like a certification. Is there mental model, like the LEED certification, environmental standards mm-hmm. for buildings? That's part one. And part two, let's dig into what that checklist or those you know criteria are. Is it that I not only have a standing desk, but now I have a treadmill? I, like I'm walking on a treadmill while I work? Or is it like, what are the things that you're really looking for in your checklist? And just for our listeners who aren't familiar with the LEED certification process, this is a you know, a building certification process that has formalized standards and your building is given like a grade. You can be lead gold and lead silver based on meeting these criteria. Great. Yes, absolutely. So one aspect of FitWell is very much like the lead program in that it's a certification. It's actually out of three stars. Um, and there are like a series of different strategies and you either you know are able to comply with them you then have to provide additional documentation and we are also the third party certification entity so mm-hmm. we you know there's a there's an uh, a, a ability to actually confirm uh, that those things have actually been achieved so they're not all um, self-identified self-reported no, yes um, but we are using kind of modern technology so fitwell is completely an online interface um, and we really rely on kind of a lot of uh, tech and um, photographs and that kind of thing to make it as efficient as possible oh, neat. um so so go ahead Oh, Sandy was just saying, oh, neat. Yeah. Like she's, she's emoting <laughs> as you talk. So as, um, you know. Yes, it is neat. Um, and it's actually, it means that it's very dynamic. So as the research changes, um, you can actually continue to inform the strategies with the additional research. And each strategy within FitWell has a weighting. And that score is a direct um, uh, representation of the strength of evidence and the impact on health. Interesting. Um, so it's actually, it's, it's very dynamic because, of course, as technology evolves, we can really kind of utilize it in this respect. Um, and then it kind of, it serves another purpose. It, so it goes kind of beyond lead in that certification piece in that it does have the ability to be a, what we're calling a benchmarking tool. And that is where you can use it on, say, all of your portfolio. If you have a 200 buildings, you maybe you wouldn't certify all 200 buildings, at least not initially, but you can benchmark it, which means you can use the tool to actually just yes and no answer each of the questions. And then it will generate that list of opportunities for you. And then you can start to use it to actually inform future decision making. So um, the way that our early users are seeing it is that they will do both. They will both kind of benchmark their whole portfolio um, if they you know, have multiple buildings um, and use it to inform investment. They may even use it to decide which office to move into. So one of the people using it is looking to move spaces and they're running kind of the benchmark on a couple of different options to see which has the highest base score before they start to do their renovation. Um, and then others are using it also to certify, you know, some part or all of their portfolio. Um, so it, it does it does function 
um, in, in a number of different ways, which is exciting. That's amazing. And just a reminder to our listeners, you're listening to Joanna Frank on Sirius XM 111, Dollars and Change. We're talking about fit well and building healthy offices. And I'm actually going to go for the go for a, a triple here and connect our first, second, and third segments because I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, Joanna, you're going to be getting data that informs practices around gender, I imagine, and you're collecting it with basically big data, as Stefan was talking about. Because you're going to be finding out things like, does this place have a daycare center? You know, is it close to public transportation for people to get to their kids' schools and things like this? Talk to us about what you see your and Fitwell's responsibility and opportunity as around sharing your lessons learned that can have an impact beyond just how the office is designed. Because you're now going to be the, the holders of some really valuable data. Sure, Absolutely. Um, and so the Center for Active Design is actually a nonprofit, um, and our mission is to transform design and development practice. So everything we do, we share. So we will be putting our findings out, uh, both as kind of research, but also in publications and on um, uh, on the internet and so on, and really trying to make it as, as accessible as possible so that people can really act on it, you know, so it doesn't remain in a white paper or something that is mm-hmm. you know, in the academic world only. And um, that has always been our role, is this, this translator between many different fields. Um, so we really want this to get into the hands of decision makers, um, whomever it is. Um, and it's interesting that you bring up the kind of the, the gender issues. Um, la- a lactation room, which we, we haven't kind of talked about some of this. How did I not mention this? Yes. Yeah, but a lactation room scores the highest out of any of the strategies. I believe I'm a breastfeeding mom, up. and I'm, I could yep. not agree more because it yeah. really changes your perspective on when you can go back to work and how and, and a whole host of sort of emotional, you know, repercussions. That's very fascinating. And that's so... Yeah, so that's interesting. So what what are you guys doing? We're we're seeing done with that data. I mean, it's early days, so maybe things aren't being done. But what are how are you seeing responses to this? And what do you imagine will be done with it? Sure. So what we're kind of hearing from those who are using it, and, and of course our excitement in, in the data is huge as well, is we really want to be able to translate that data into something that is, is very easy to visualize so that you can really start mm. to see impact in real time. As so any good know, designer will, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we're, I'm a designer at heart, and, and <laughs> a lot of our office are. So, um, yes, yeah, so really how do you take this data and make it something that is useful and going to actually drive demand and drive that decision making? So if I'm a business, I'm going to have a different requirement or different need for data than if I'm a researcher. So if I'm a business, I would say I would really want to know about uh, maybe it's that retention number because that's what my board cares about or my investors care about. Um, and so how do we take this data and really make it so that it's, it's going to directly respond to the core business of the people we're looking to um, work with, as well as, of course, uh, drive kind of the research and the knowledge piece as well. I was I was reading that FASCO article, and I think, you know, one thing – and you might have said this at the beginning of the segment as well. All right. So I sit down with you or someone else that wants to talk about Don't these sit, issues. Don't sit. Stand. Yeah. We're, we're having a walking <laughs> meeting, actually. And um, – but I'm, I'm the head of this – of the company, or I, I manage this building, and we're about to do our renovation. Um, where – and before, they may have said – we need we have 25,000 employees we need x square feet and we have this budget right a bathroom Go. within this many feet of this <laughs> many people the very basics yeah but now people are really leading in some of those conversations to be like what are the things that we can do to increase the health of our employees through the design maybe not so point 
uh, or blunt in that way, but some element of that conversation. So how do you respond to those folks? Like, what are some of the really basic things that people might be considering in their design to maybe some of the bigger or more novel things that they may be considering in their design? Sure. I mean, it it is kind of, it starts at the fundamental level of where are you going to locate your workplace? Um, Because that in itself starts to inform the choices of your employees. Um, So you can imagine if I decide to put my office where it is, which is Union Square in the middle of New York, um, that then gives employees access to transit. So the most convenient way for them to get to work is probably using the subway. Um, And that means that those employees, those people, will be taking the stairs up and down, probably, to get to the the subway. Mm -hmm. Um, They'll then be walking to the subway to and from the office and wherever they live. So they will be getting a certain amount of physical activity. Like thousands of steps. That's like 6 to 10,000 steps. Yeah. Yeah. But if I've decided to put my office in a location that really the most convenient and the only really practical way to get there is to drive, um, then I have limited the choices as far as that one opportunity. So the, the kind of the commuting to work opportunity is the first opportunity. It both gives you kind of access to food. There's actually a mental health piece as well to commuting. Um, there's a correlation between the amount of time you spend in a car, um, commuting and levels of stress and anxiety. I'm glad and- you brought this up because I'm curious. I'm excited to learn here. I've seen some staggering statistics around like mm-hmm. if your commute is more than 45 minutes in the car, like depression, suicide, divorce, like really strong data mm-hmm. in a negative way. Is it different when you're in a train? It is. Yeah, absolutely. Great. You know, and um, I just think about Philadelphia specifically. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have some policy and regulatory issues why companies stay out in the suburbs, mm-hmm. but it drives me nuts as, again, admittedly millennial. Like the last thing I want to do is reverse commute in a car to a suburban office park. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like just bottom line. Yeah. But what I would say is that we are looking, Fitwell is really looking at the existing buildings. Mm-hmm. So that is also where it's a little different from other certifications. We really are saying, what can we do to optimize our existing buildings? I mean, building new buildings is relatively easy as far as, you know, you can use the information that's available and you can make the best possible decisions. But buildings, the majority of buildings exist already. Right. Um, so I would say that if you are located in a suburban office park, how do you then optimize that environment to right. support Because you can see upsides to that. Like you might be able to have a walking trail. Yeah. You have more space. It's cheaper to build, presumably, than, yeah, than in the absolutely. city. So then you, yeah, then in order to optimize that particular environment, there's nothing you can do about your walk score. There's nothing you can do about proximity to amenities within the actual location. But yeah, you can have a walking trail. You could have a farmer's market on site. You could have outdoor meeting spaces. You could look at, you know, how do you use the fact you have more square feet to have exercise rooms and a lactation room and et cetera. So there are ways that every environment can be optimized. Um, And so it's really about what can you do with your particular set of opportunities in order to, to really you know, do the best you can, basically, um, and then continue to inform that um, going forward. So it's, it's not supposed to be everybody move to the city. I mean, obviously, right. that's not possible. It's not practical. And, and you know, it's, it's just not the way that it's going to happen. But, but there are many things that everybody can do. And I guess that's the point. Everybody Designers especially like constraints. <laughs> they design within their constraints. Well, and so I'll throw an additional constraint out there because why not challenge our brilliant designer on the line here? Joanna, if I'm thinking about small business owners uh, who are listening to the show who aren't right, uh, the Facebooks of the world that can go out and plop down a huge chunk of change to build you know, 
an office that's going to meet all these employee needs. What are some free, low cost, you know, more manageable interventions, whether policy or structural or supplies or whatever, things that they can do to immediately begin to receive some of the benefits that you've seen in your research? Sure. Um, So many of the things are really aren't about cost, you know, so they're about opportunity. Um, because if you're moving, obviously, there's an opportunity there. But if you're in an existing space and you're a small business owner, which is what we are, actually, I mean, the center is not a large business. Um, what, you know, what, what can we do? What have we done? Um, and there's a lot of operational pieces that you can do, um, whether it's if you control the kitchen in your space, um, you can institute you know, various uh, operational policies around uh, how that kitchen both is cleaned at a, like a really fundamental level, um, and then also kind of what snacks are offered. If you have vending machines, you can ensure that there's you know, healthy vending machine standards are, are enacted about kind of having water prominently displayed and so on. Um, you can increase access to drinking water um, because it's all about that kind of behavior and those choices. Yeah. So if I'm thirsty... I'm looking, you know, if I see a drinking fountain and it's right in my eyesight and it's, you know, it's clean and it's, it's you know, kind of easy to access, then I'm going to think, oh, I'll get some water. But if the first thing I see is a vending machine full of soda, then maybe that's the choice that I make. You know what? They installed here right outside of our office a like, just a water bottle filler upper. It's like a water fountain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Plus, yeah. you can yeah. fill your, you know, Nalgene with it. Yeah. And, you know, I think... I use that way more now. But you didn't talk about the best part about it. Well, that it also counts. It, yeah, it counts the number of water bottles that it has like filled. Oh, yeah. So like I think right now it's like 16,800 water bottles. What plastic water bottles would have been used if you had not filled up your reusable water bottle yeah. in this fountain. Something like that. And But I feel like I use that. Maybe it's the gamification that got yeah. me hooked at first. Because you just are a be... millennial. <laughs> but, you know, there were other options for me to fill up my water bottle. But I, I think I do that probably th- – I would say two to three times more a day than I probably would have before. Even if you only had to walk like 60 more feet to a dingy water fountain, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, that is, that's exactly the kind of thing we're talking about. Like, how do you, how do you support behavior change? So in that case, you're motivated to see that number ticking up. But actually, like signage and messaging is incredibly powerful. Mm. So you could do nothing to the design of your actual space, but you could start to message. You know, the reason that we have a water fountain is because, you know, it's this way it promotes health, this way it provides, promotes the environment. That in and of itself is going to start to inform behavior. So say I can't redesign my stair, <laughs> which, you know, you probably can't if you're an existing building. Right. Um, and I can't even, like, change the door or do anything to it because I don't control the stairwell, you know, because I'm a small business. Um, just putting a sign up saying... This is, you know, the stair is in the corner. If you take the stair, if you take six flights of stairs a day, you'll offset the average annual weight gain of an American. Like that is wow. the stat. Yeah. So just putting that sign up and doing nothing else is enough to actually start to increase the number of people taking the stairs. Um, and so that's the kind of thing where you, you give people the knowledge, people start to make decisions based on that increased knowledge. So just signage alone is something that I feel like everybody can do. Um, you don't need a budget to right. do that. And you don't you need, need to post control. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it is also that kind of messaging and that culture piece that, you know, we care about your health, we're promoting your health, and we're using 
this, um, these strategies that are based in evidence. This is not speculation. Mm-hmm. You know, we are way beyond the point of like, it's my opinion that this is going to actually impact. Right. It's like, no, actually, we're, we're talking about a decade of research. Now. Well, it's we're not, it's not opinion, today. but it's also just not sexy and cool either. <laughs> it's evidence-based. You can, you know, good design might make it sexy and cool, yeah. but it's also... You know, right. healthy employees it's, it's take less practice. days off. Yeah. So one thing I'm curious about, Joanna, is is how you know sometimes, and I'm thinking specifically about like leave policies and stuff that have been top of mind as a new parent. When the policies exist on paper, but they're not modeled, or they are modeled, I think is a huge differential in whether or not they're taken advantage of and sort of used. So what do you see the responsibility of? leaders at these organizations to do to sort of model this behavior and help take those policies or programs or structures or opportunities that exist and and increase the employee uptake? Sure. I mean, I feel like we hope, and I mean, obviously, we're at very early days, but what we're hearing from businesses is that they see committing to something like Fitwell as messaging that they as a business are prioritizing health. And so while Fitwell only deals with the actual kind of building and operation of the building and doesn't get into kind of HR policy, by publicly making that commitment and that statement, um, I, we, we hope and we shall see that that will then actually start to message, you know, beyond just the physical building and the operation of the building um, and, and actually uh, be integrated into the HR policy as well. Because we know that businesses do a lot of different pieces that support their employees, um, but up until now they haven't had an opportunity to really kind of talk about it as a collective brand or market differentiator of their business. So we really feel like giving people the tools and the information to do that um, and a platform to talk about what they're doing is just going to kind of drive the market because the demand is already there. Um, And so I think businesses will do this because they see that it's a way to to really be more successful, I mean, fundamentally. Um, So I I don't think that we're asking businesses to care more about health. We're asking businesses to do what they do well, and that is be successful. And we're showing them how caring about health actually um, really supports their um, their responsibility, and that is to be as successful as possible. Um, so. Yeah. This has been a fascinating segment. Joanna Frank, Executive Director of the Center of Active Design, talking about FitWell. We're going to have to wrap up and come to a close for this segment, but I am very struck by what a, a delightful combination of, you know, sort of inspiring and evidence-based this mm-hmm. work is. Um, and I thank you not only for your great work, but for making it so tangible for people to take action on. And we will try to keep it top of mind. We want to bring you in now so you can look at our office space. Yeah, exactly. Have a little <laughs> audit done. Exactly. Um, and we are, we are very, you know, I will take a moment to say the university does some great things to help. You know, we have um, health screening fairs that happen you know, a couple times a year, and you only have to walk 60 feet down the hallway to get your blood pressure taken and your blood sugar levels and your BMI. And would I take the time to go do that if I had to make an appointment and miss work and go to my doctor? Probably not. But when they lower that barrier to entry, it really allows for some great behavior change. So listeners, stay with us. When we come back, we will be talking about bananas. Yes, you heard that correctly. (laughs) (laughs) B-A-N-A-N-A-S. But a powerful conversation around food waste and what entrepreneurs can do to help eliminate or uh, work against it. You are listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Stay with us. We'll be back soon. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.